Hello, and welcome to episode 61 of the Movie Marathoners podcast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mati, and joining me today are Rosa Parra and Catherine Gonzalez, the women behind the Latinx Lens podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Um, how's everyone's weekend? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you for, for having me back. Um, I'm doing great. And then it's fun. I'm, I'm really happy to be back. And now um, with my partner in crime, <laughs> I'm more excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really excited to have you both. Catherine, how are you doing? I'm good. Um, yeah, it's been a good weekend. I had um, biscuits for breakfast, which I hadn't had in a long time because I've been mm. you know, eating well. So that was very, <laughs> I'm having a good day. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Rosa, you've been on the podcast before, once to talk about an amazing film, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And then again, to talk about a less than amazing film, The Lovebirds. But both of those conversations were great. I highly recommend checking those out. Um, I'm very excited to have you back and to have Catherine on for the first time, especially this week, because out of nowhere, the weekend of September 4th became this huge week for movies. We got <laughs> Tenant in theaters, a new Charlie Kaufman film on Netflix, and then the topic for this week, the highly anticipated film, Disney's Mulan. So as usual, we'll warm up with our spoiler-free thoughts on the film, then we'll run into spoiler territory where we can talk freely about the film. And finally, we'll finish with our point two section where we talk about what else we've been watching. So let's just jump right into it and read a synopsis of Mulan. Very straight to the point, this one. A young Chinese maiden disguises herself as a male warrior in order to save her father. Mulan stars Yifei Liu, Donnie Yen, Li Gong, and Jet Li. It is written by Rick Jaffa, Amanda Silver, Lauren Hynek and Elizabeth Martin, and it is directed by Nikki Carroll. Do you know why the phoenix sits on the right hand of the emperor? She is his guardian, his protector. That she's both beautiful and strong. Your job is to bring honor to the family. Do you think you can do that? Citizens, we are under attack from northern invaders. Their leader calls himself Ori Khan. Fights alongside a witch. No survivors. By edict of his imperial majesty, every family must contribute one man to fight. Have you no son? I am blessed with two daughters. I will fight. This time he will not return. So why don't we just start with overall thoughts on the film? And I'll go to Catherine first, since she is the uh, newest addition to the the guest rotation. Catherine, what were your overall thoughts on Mulan? Yeah, I um, I, I really wanted to love this movie uh, because of uh, the live action aspect, and I really liked the fact that they were going in a different direction than the animated film um, by doing something new, which I guess some people don't like that. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, I, I was like, oh, that's that's pretty awesome because uh, I, I, I kind of am irked by the live action Disney films that are basically just copying the cartoon um, and not bringing anything new. Um, so with that said, um, I was a little disappointed 
just because I feel like there was a lot of pretty pictures. It was, you know, the, the landscape shot, everything, Mm -hmm. but it just felt like it lacked like the nuance, um, in some ways. Um, I feel like it didn't have the spirit of the original animated film. And I don't know. I, I just feel like it was sort of bland in some ways. And yeah. And for, for, for a film where Mulan is this, you know, crazy warrior, the action scenes like left a lot to be desired. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I, I liked some of the things that they did with, with some of the storylines, but overall it was just okay. And I think when I was watching, I was like, Oh, I'm going to forget about this after I watch it basically, which is not good for a Disney film because <laughs> growing up, I watched the Disney movies like over and over and over and over again. Cause that's, you know, when you're a kid, you do that. And like even some of the live action ones, um, I wish I could, ha- I, I wanted that feeling from the nostalgic point of view, you know, of watching this when I was younger, like the original one. So I don't think it had that like it factor that I expect from kind of like a Disney movie, unfortunately. So do you have nostalgia for that original film, the 1998 animated one? I feel like some people are at the age where it kind of like just missed their uh, childhood in the sense that like they don't really care about it. And then there's other people Mm -hmm. like me where I kind of grew up watching this film and singing the songs, you know, in (laughs) middle school and high school. Which one are you? Yeah, I think uh, it was 98. So I was 10. Um, So I it hit hit, like right when I was probably um, still into all these Disney movies. And for me, I, I just feel like especially now with all these live action remakes, I feel like the nineties were the heyday of Disney animated films, (laughs) which I'm, I'm lucky. Um, uh, and maybe all of us are to have grown up with those films and not these live action ones, but yeah, I love that one. I mean, honestly, I still listen to a lot of the Disney soundtracks, like when I go on a run or a walk and like, uh, make a man out of you is one of my favorites. And I actually just put on the, the Mulan movie. I mean the Disney, uh, animated version after this one. Cause I was like, I really wanted that like spirit of the movie. And I was just fast forwarding to all the, <laughs> to all the song parts. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Uh, Rosa, how about you? What were your thoughts on the live action Mulan? Yeah. Um, I liked it. <laughs> um, I had fun with it. I I thought their uh, the bold uh, decision to sway away from the musical genre and um, give it this more serious tone to it. It worked for me. Um, no, it's not a perfect film. Uh, I did have some issues, uh, especially with with the script and some some of the uh, pacing. But other than that, I, I very much enjoyed it. I, I like the, the visual. Um, the visuals were really beautiful. The vibrant colors, the, the costume designs were good. I liked it. Uh, overall, I, had, I, I really enjoyed it. And I do agree with Kat. It was missing that magic. Then it, I'm sure it has a lot to do with um, not having the, the musical numbers and, and uh, having that comedy to it. But... Um, overall, I, I had a good time with it. I, I enjoyed it. Personally, I think it's one of the best live action remakes, mm-hmm. um, but I enjoyed it. I had a good time with it. Okay. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so I was talking a little bit before we started recording to you, Rosa, about how I kind of knew your thoughts and I knew your <laughs> thoughts because I yeah. saw your letterbox rating of the yeah. movie. And uh, I am much closer to Catherine's uh, opinion of the movie. I really like just like her. I really, really wanted to like this film. I thought the trailers looked great and I Mm -hmm. was actually really excited for them not doing a shot for shot remake. So none of my problems are, oh, there's no Mushu in this. Um, So I really, really wanted to love this. And 
I found myself just really disappointed by it. And so after <laughs> that, I checked your letterbox to see what you had said and um, you had four stars on it. So I was like, oh crap, am I going to be just a huge <laughs> negative person on this podcast? <laughs> so Catherine, thank you um, for- <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to be in a, I, like I, I am sad that this is my takeaway from this because mm -hmm. I really think they missed an opportunity, but- it is what it is. I'm not going to lie about how I feel about it. So <laughs> yeah, that's that's how I felt. And I mean, I agree with a lot of what Rosa said in that the there are a lot of things to like in this movie. I just think so many of them are just not quite good enough so that when yeah. they all come together, the movie feels just kind of weak and it's just missing that magic. It's missing honestly, some narrative structural flow. It's missing a lot of fluid editing. I think one of the most frustrating things of this film is that action and how, I, I don't want to say poorly, but I guess poorly shot it is. It's edited mm -hmm. to pieces so that you really can't appreciate anything that's going on. Um, and then the script is really wonky, <laughs> in my opinion. Like Just how you get from scene to scene is very frustrating in this movie. And I think I might be a little harder on it just because I did want this to kind of be the best of the Disney live action films. And I think it probably is still one of the best ones there. Like I said, there's there's a lot of things to really appreciate about this movie that I'm sure we'll get into. Um, but yeah, for me, it, it didn't work much at all. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I've been yeah, I've been reading a lot of reviews on it and and. I, it's fair. It's completely understandable. Again, you know, film is subjective and, and whatever um, works for people might not work for other people. And it's completely fair. <laughs> yeah. And I just think it, it, I think it also for some reason, I guess I, I hadn't really done a lot of research um, until I was prepping for this podcast and who had written it and who directed it. And then when I saw that, I, I, I guess I just thought I gave Disney the benefit of the doubt that it was from creators who would know more about the, you know, like that mm -hmm. they were trying to really push for the diversity angle or whatever. And we've talked a lot about on Latinx Lens, like I am not opposed to um, like non POC doing like these type of interpretations of, of different cultures and things. I think that's part of writing is like being creative and also writing outside of what you know. But in this case, I feel like it definitely, uh, maybe that would, maybe that hindered what the product that we saw and I don't know how much of a consulting like they did for some, you know, for like to get more of the richness of the culture, because um, it definitely felt like a Cliff Notes version of whatever they were trying to do. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and I feel like it could have really benefited from people who knew more about it, you know, like part of that um, culture and, and just adding a little bit more richness to it. Um, so that's where it kind of. I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. It just, it kind of just hit, missed the mark in that end. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I do want to acknowledge that I like that it's at least trying to be authentic in the way that it's portraying Chinese production and Chinese mm -hmm. culture. Like you can tell that there is an effort there, but there is something notable about the fact that the director and all four of the writers are white. And yeah. I mean, it's, it's good that a majority of the writers and the director are women. I think that you can feel in the film. There is a level that the film handles gender dynamics in a way that I think feels pretty good. But I mm -hmm. agree that it, it just doesn't quite feel, uh, I think the, the way you said it is perfect. The the Spark Notes version of this movie, like it, it tries to hit these things like family and honor and um, things that are important in this myth to the Chinese culture and introducing this idea of chi and all of this stuff. But 
none of it comes together in a way that's particularly interesting to me. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, no, no. I certainly agree with, with the both of you. And um, I watched the film again. I watched it again last night, but this time I watched it with my daughters. And after I did realize that it was just written and pretty much just produced by, by white creators, um, yeah, you, you can definitely see it. And, and after seeing it a second time, it does not hold up as it did when I first watched it. And after watching it last night again, my score did go down a little. Now it's at three and a half, <laughs> but uh, it didn't go down by much. I, I still liked it. And I'm, I'm very uh, happy with the message that it's sending. But yeah. no, absolutely. I'm definitely, I'm right there with the both of you. Now, because I liked it doesn't mean that I, I'm not aware of what's going on and all the controversial uh, things that are going on uh, with the film as well. Yeah, well, I don't want to be completely negative because like I said, I think there yeah. are a <laughs> bunch of things in this movie that are, if not executed perfectly, it's admirable that they're at least trying to execute those things. Like they introduce new characters, which is something that almost none of the live action movies have done. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of those characters are pretty interesting. You've got Gong Li's character, who is this sorceress woman, who I think is handled really poorly at the end of this film. But the introduction of her as kind of a foil or whatever to Mulan's character, that is interesting in theory. Um, but Rosa, do you want to talk about specific things that you you really liked about the film, kind of to avoid getting us into a super negative dive into this? <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. Um and I think that's perhaps the perfect segue uh, for me because out of this film, she was my favorite character. I wasn't mm -hmm. even Mulan. Um, I like what they did. And again, it, it goes back to what you guys were mentioning. The female lens is very much visible in this film. And her introduction, the introduction of this uh, character, it worked for me. It very much worked for me. And I understand a lot of people don't... Um, they, they tend to uh, argue or, or question some of the actions or, or of course, the ending um, or the, the, the end, towards the end of the film. But to me, it worked. It, it worked in a sense that her character is certainly another version of an outcome, of the outcome of what women have to uh, put up with, uh, certainly within the society and how women have always been um, just looked as villain. Um, simply for having certain capabilities and having um, powers, so to speak. And all of that spoke to me <laughs> on every mm -hmm. single level, the female empowerment aspect of it. And I think her introduction to the movie, it certainly umped up that message a little bit more because she is, again, uh, another story of what women go through. But she's also the representation. She's part of like the yin and the yang to Mulan. And maybe also a reminder of what Mulan may have um, perhaps become if, if she didn't become one <laughs> um, towards the end. But I liked it. I loved it. I, I loved her, her, her character overall. Like I said, it was my favorite part of the film. Yeah, Catherine, what do you think about that character and how that whole relationship worked out in the film? Yeah, I actually she was the highlight probably as well for me, um, because I think I think one of the reasons why um, I feel the way I do is that I, in, in the animated version, Mulan really shined as a character. You you got her personality 
you, you knew who she, what she was about. And this one, I felt like sometimes I was like, oh, you haven't even spoken in some, you know, some of these <laughs> yeah. things. And I'm like, I really wanted, it, it made me feel like she was the secondary character, to be honest. Um, and I think that's the reason why I, I, I was like, oh, you know, feel the way I do. But seeing Gong Li's, uh, uh, like kind of being, I guess, the, the foil to Milan, it was awesome. Like, I think having that addition and interpreting, um, I guess, was like a, what was the animal she is? Uh, like a falcon or a hawk or something, maybe? Yeah, from, yeah, that, that was really cool. I like the way um, she would kind of come in and out and like the way they did that with all the birds and stuff. Um, that was pretty awesome. Um, so I didn't mind that. And I also think, um, although it is sad to think that having two women like as like, you know, the protagonist and also, you know, the, I guess, <laughs> yeah. a villain type thing or whatever um, in a movie is like refreshing. Um, I think, I hope this is just kind of another, um, a thing that continues because we've seen it now with like more of the action movies, um, with women against women. It's not, it's sort of like, it's fun because we've had men against men for so long and that's just considered normal. Um, and it's, it's like, if you introduce, like, I don't know why people have thought introducing a, you know, like kind of like the Gong Gong Lee's character would make it less than or something, but it makes it much more nuanced, especially the conversation they have of, um, like the empathy that she feels and she's like, just join me so we can be together and like take down the patriarchy yeah. and stuff like that. So um, I found that very interesting and it was definitely um, probably the highlight of the film for me as well. Yeah, I, I love the way that she looks like her just design, mm-hmm. her character design, the scales on her dress and everything. That is something oh, so that I good. think this movie needed much more of just kind of this flashy and iconic imagery in a way. And she is probably the most iconic part of this new movie. And you mentioned something that I want to touch on, the the idea that Mulan doesn't feel quite as animated or as much of a character in this as she does in the animated film. And I was thinking about that and kind of how these animated or these adaptations of these animated films are almost doomed from the start because you have such a rich character from an animated movie, but it's kind of unfair almost to ask Mm -hmm. people to compare an animated character to a live action character because an animated character just naturally is able to emote and do so much with so much less. And I think you can really tell that when you think about the side characters in this movie, like her kind of posse or whatever in the army, (laughs) how it's very clear that they're supposed to be the same characters as in the original film um you've got like the guy who the huge guy who really likes to eat and you've got the (laughs) short stubby guy with like the the scowl and all that stuff and in the animated movie i think it really works because you can remember those characters iconically just because they look larger than life or in the small guy's case smaller than life like they have these characteristics just from the way that they're animated and I think mm-hmm. unless you have an incredibly talented actor, that's very difficult to do in a live action film when they're given so little time to actually be characters. And I think that is one of the weaknesses of this film and, in, and to an extent, a lot of the live action Disney movies. Yeah. And I guess I don't know um, if Russell feels this way, too, but like we live action can be done well. Like we saw we reviewed Dora um, the Lost in the Lost City of Gold um, recently um, and I think that benefited from the fact that they really went in a sort of like the fantastical route to really mimic mm-hmm. the, the cartoon. And that was like a good interpretation because then you're as an audience member, you're like, okay, well, this is still a fantastical world, but it is live action, whatever. And I think with Mulan, 
I, I mean, I, I didn't expect Mulan to be the same. I just feel like there's literally no no personality in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like very subtle. Um, and I, I don't know. It just it just felt like they could uh they 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 were in the middle between trying to be Disney like, trying to be um a little bit too like historical in some ways. And I think it just, they didn't strike the right balance of deciding what they wanted to be. And then it felt, that's why for me, it felt kind of like just half effort in that sense. Cause I'm like, what are you trying to do? <laughs> if you're going to try to be like a straight drama, I'll go for it. But you didn't go all in. Yes. If you're trying to still take the, uh, if you're still trying to have that, like, you know, the Disney cues, the music, all that, then I wish you would have done like kind of a Dora route and do it more fantastical, um, even more vibrant colors, like the, and, do more of um, like the witch and that like iconic imagery that you were talking about that is more striking because Mulan's like um, like outfits and so it just felt like it wasn't it didn't do her justice in some ways. Yeah, and then you think of some of the most iconic movies or the most iconic shots in the original movie, like the fighting montage, which is a little unfair because that song is amazing. But that's one example. Another example is when they come to the village that has been completely decimated by the Huns, that is a terrifying moment in a children's movie, but it's really Mm -hmm. effective. And it has that imagery of Mulan laying down the little doll next to the, the sword of the guy's father. Like that stuff is, I, I remember that even though I haven't seen this movie in several years and I don't feel like there's any of those iconic movies in this one. And like, they have that moment where they go and see the results of whatever the name of the army is in this one. It's not the Huns, but um, they have a similar scene, but it's just blown by so quickly. And it's sort of like, check, we did that. Let's move on. And this movie does <laughs> that a lot where it's kind of like introduces something and then the resolution is almost instantaneous and they just move on. And it's like they don't have time to feel anything. Yeah, I agree. Oh, yeah. Ahead. And oh, yeah, sorry. Um, the, 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 the scene that you're referring to, it certainly feels like that because there's no musical numbers right before that scene they're singing um and they are uh singing the 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 song of someone to worth fighting for whatever Mm -hmm. um i'm not a good singer so i'm not even gonna attempt it (laughs) um (laughs) so yeah you're 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 going from a joyous and a musical number and the next scene is them coming up to that to that to that scene and of course that gives it more impact because you're going from a happy and then boom, you get shocked um, with, with the scene. So definitely the lack of the musical numbers did affect the film. It, it, that's what, um, it, it, it doesn't It doesn't have that magic. It doesn't have what the first, uh, what the animated film does. And again, I said I w- it wasn't perfect. I, I was bothered by, by some of the, including the script, but using some of the song lyrics as a dialogue felt mm-hmm. so flat to me. Um, it didn't, it didn't work. (laughs) It didn't work at all. And yeah, it it definitely takes away a lot of the emotional impact that it could have had. So Rosa, you mentioned that you watched this again with your daughters. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that is really savvy on Disney's part is that they're saying, okay, you buy this for $30 and then you can watch it again and again. And especially for families, that seems like a no brainer. But this movie is also, it's not Frozen 2. This doesn't seem like a movie that, for example, five-year-olds would watch again and again and again. Do you think that you're going to get mileage out of this? Then this is a film that you think your kids would watch again and again? Or is it one of those ones that's like, well, you know, we're starving for content, so $30 is enough for us to watch it once and then that's worth it? 
Yeah. That's a really good question because while we were watching it, yeah, my seven-year-old, again, <laughs> she's already having issues at school with the long distance thing. Um, <laughs> this film didn't work for her. So it, it doesn't, there was no funny mushu. There's no, nothing attracted and nothing kept her attention. But the other three though, they they did like it. And, and they've already seen it twice ever since um, that last night. So I guess it, it depends on, on, the the age they're in and when i'm saying my older three i'm talking about uh nine eleven and fourteen mm -hmm. um so they're a bit older they they do um understand some of these th themes and topics so to me again it, it's a family i'm gonna have a huge family so thirty dollars is nothing <laughs> compared <laughs> to spending eighty almost a hundred dollars every time i go to the movie theaters with my kids but yeah, for the little ones, I don't think it's going to work as well. And yeah, I mean, so far they, they've seen it twice already. The, the three older ones, the little ones can give zero Fs about it. Uh, <laughs> but overall, I think so. I, again, it depends on, on the kids as well. So Catherine, even if you didn't like it as much as you wanted to, is this worth the $30? Because we have now collectively given Disney $90 to see this, assuming that... <laughs> We didn't get screeners or whatever, but um, is this worth the $30 to you, do you think? Um, I think, so as much as I've like been negative about it, it's just because I really want, I, I just expected a little bit more from Disney and, and especially Mulan, you know, and the first like kind of big Asian cast and everything and the push for diversity and all that. But I will say like, it's not a horrible movie. Like I could... I guess I could watch it again and I, uh, you know, maybe I like putting movies on in the background because I love movies. So, um, I, I do that instead of music. <laughs> um, so I could see myself like putting it on and then probably like stopping what I'm doing and, um, and watching a little bit of it at a time, you know? And I think, um, it, it could be like a kick where I, you know, even as an adult, cause I think this is also probably targeted to us, you know, who grew up, um, you know, like the strong nostalgic feelings of watching the original Mulan and yeah. then kind of getting that, uh, the nostalgic feeling for us to buy it <laughs> again, to feel those feelings. Um, and so I will say just because given everything, the pandemic, um, content and wanting to feel somewhat of a, of, of that nostalgic feeling, at least in my case, I would recommend it. I, I, I don't think it's, it's it's not bad like that bad i'm just being a little bit harsh on it because we're critiquing it mm -hmm. um for this sense but if you're a family <laughs> um and you need you know you have those older kids like rosa said i think yeah i think you would probably want to give it a shot <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just so you can have a few hours to yourself <laughs> <laughs> yeah perfectly fair uh so do you think that this would have worked in a theater would you have been harder on the film if it was in a theater or do you think you it would have actually been less of a big deal that it doesn't quite live up to our expectations if we saw it on the big screen and we got to see Nikki Caro's direction of the big landscapes and stuff. Cause that's the thing. I think you mentioned that as one of your first things that, yeah, it's got mm -hmm. pretty shots in it. And I did feel a little bummed that I wasn't getting to see some of that stuff on a big screen. Yeah. And, um, learning that she's from, she's New Zealander. I, it, it actually was fun cause I, Lord of the Rings is one of my favorite movies and i feel like it was shot in New Zealand. I don't know where it's shot. Um, but like a lot of the landscape actually reminded me of Lord of the Rings. That's probably why I loved it so much. Um, and it could, it might've been different. I think anything in the theater is always, um, especially when it's like epic in scope in that sense of showing these epic, uh, shots. Um, 
uh, of landscape that is so beautiful. I think you can't help, even if the script or, or the movie is weak, you can't help as a viewer just kind of like get immersed in it and want to be there. And it kind of maybe skews your overall feelings in a way by seeing it on the big screen. Cause regardless of when I go see a movie in the theater, like if I see a movie in a theater and it's kind of like, eh, I still have that like bit of high from watching a movie and having those feelings of like escaping for two hours. And, uh, I, I feel like it could have benefited from, from, from it being, yeah, for me watching it in a theater, I think I might've felt a little differently and then maybe watching it again, at home mm-hmm. might have made me feel this way <laughs> that I feel now. <laughs> Possibly. I don't know. It's it's like, what if, right? <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny that you mentioned Lord of the Rings because I felt myself comparing Lord of the Rings to this probably unfairly and definitely mm-hmm. unfavorably because I did recently watch those. And there's something about the way that the action in that movie is specifically the the like the war scenes, the way that mm-hmm. it is shot. And the way that it is set up to, not only do you understand what's going on because you can see it being filmed relatively fluidly, but they also spend like 35 minutes before the battle kind of explaining what's at stake, explaining who's coming, explaining who's where. And this movie doesn't do any of that. And I do think on one level, okay, comparing it to literally one of the greatest trilogies of all time, not super fair. But at the same time, this movie is what, like, $200 $200 million or something. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not super unfair to expect at least some um, grand scale epicness other than just, wow, that's a pretty mountain. And it, it is a pretty mountain, mm-hmm. but there's never any of these sweeping battle shots. So like, where is mm-hmm. the money going? Yeah. And I agree. Yeah, I agree with that. And also I think um, I'm probably a little bit more harsh on it with those action scenes because when TV, when TV shows are doing it better than a movie that has $200 million, you know, like Game of Thrones did battle scene, battle um, scenes so well. Um, that's the most recent example, but that now there's a lot more, even Vikings, the TV show. Um, I feel like I would have preferred that action more mm-hmm. so than whatever I got here. Um, Mulan's like moves were really cool in some of the instances, but I wanted more of that. Um, and so, yeah, you're right. I think it, it's not like it was a $20 million, but if it had been $20 million, it'd be like, oh, they did pretty well for that. But it's Disney's money and it's like, <laughs> you couldn't get a better choreographer or I don't know, like what, like what was going on? Um, uh, you weren't utilizing your talent very well. (laughs) Well, let's go ahead and hop into spoilers. I think we've made it clear that there's a lot to like about this movie. And then there's a lot that doesn't work at least for, for some of us. So, um, Rosa, why don't you summarize your thoughts on the film and give it a score out of 10 and then we'll have Catherine do the same and then we'll move into spoilers. Yeah, sure. Um, So to me, this film is visually stunning. (laughs) Um, And it definitely falls short from from the animated predecessors. So overall, I enjoyed it. I liked it. And my score is a seven out of 10. Awesome. How about you, Catherine? Yeah, I think it's going to be just an okay watch. I don't think it's going to be memorable, um, except for The Witch, which I think there's going to be a lot of little... I I even want to dress up as her for Halloween. (laughs) Um, so I think that will probably be the lasting legacy maybe in that, in that sense. Um, and so I would just say six out of 10. Okay. Cause it did try to do something different, which I appreciate, um, and not a copy for copy of the animated film. So I can appreciate the the effort, but it did fall short. Yeah. I'm really glad this movie is trying to be something other than a shot for shot remake. 
Uh, unfortunately, overall, it largely fails, but I'd much rather see a film like this than mm-hmm. just a lifeless remake of the original that's trying to do the funny Mushu with somebody who's trying to imitate Eddie, Eddie Murphy, Murphy and somebody who's <laughs> trying to sing as good of a montage song. So I think that this film is definitely attempting to say something. It's attempting to be different from the original, and it's attempting to create these new and interesting characters. And I respect it for that. So this is not something that is like a waste of time or anything like that. And it is in the upper echelon, in my opinion, of the Disney live action films. I'm going to give it just a little lower than Catherine. I'm going to give it a 5.5. But um, if you're interested, I, you know, it's still Mulan. So that's the thing (laughs) with these Disney action movies. So with that, let's go ahead and move into spoilers. This is a spoiler warning for Mulan starting now. That's my secret, Cat. I'm always angry. So one of the things that they add to this film is the idea of chi. Uh was not in the original animated film, but I'm assuming, I guess I could have checked this, but I'm assuming it's uh, quite significant in the original, whatever you call it, myth of Mulan. What were your guys' thoughts on the inclusion of this Chi character and kind of making Mulan, in some ways, reminded me of like Anakin in the prequels for Star Wars? <laughs> Rosa, you can go if you want. <laughs> okay. Um, I, li- I I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it at all. I think giving her that uh, element kind of was the substitute for no mushu, for no cricket, and for not having any of the comedic talent uh, uh, elements in it. I, I Again, I didn't mind it because b- we, with the introduction of the sorcerer, I think it made more of the, uh, a complimentary uh, matchup with, with her since she also has um, these powers, so to speak. Um, so to me, it was okay. I didn't mind it. I, I read a lot of reviews that, that did mind it. and <laughs> But overall, I didn't mind it. I, I was good with it. And no, I do not think that this film is giving the message that women or girls are only special or, or anything like that, only when they have these mystical powers. Um, I think that the message of the film here is to do not impersonate other people and try to, how do you call it? Just to be part of society, just be yourself and go out there. And which is one of the changes that I really appreciated about the film and the animated film Mulan is discovered uh, to be a woman because of, of her injuries. And then they figure out because of her body anatomy But in this one, no, she decides to come out. She decides to fully embrace who she is and to take, um, just go out there and kick ass pretty much, which is something I very, very much appreciated. I like how you word that, that it was kind of, they changed it from her being exposed to her kind of taking control of her identity and choosing Mm -hmm. to be exposed. And I did not think of it like that. And I think that is... That that's a good change, and I I think also the idea of this chi it kind of reminded me of in Captain Marvel when Jude Law is kind of consistently telling her to suppress her powers and don't <laughs> mm-hmm. be emotional, and that's obviously very on the nose, but it is effective. And I think the um the scene at the very beginning of this movie where 
Shima, her dad, has to tell Mulan to hide her gift. And he says something like, you know, hide your talent. Don't show this. This is not for you. It's for warriors. I thought that was actually a very effective scene. And, and yeah. Shima very, very much sold it. And I, I, I thought it was emotional and powerful and upsetting. Um, I just wish that that emotion kind of continued through the film. Like, I don't think that it exactly capitalizes it on it at the end. Um, again, it, it almost pulls it off, but it just falls a little short for me. But I do think that's a really good part of this film. So uh, speaking of the ending, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about Xian Lang and Mulan's ultimate um, emotional conclusion, I guess, the relationship concluding where Xian Lang kind of sacrifices herself for to save Mulan. Did that work for you, Catherine? Yeah, I love that part. Um, I think... Uh... So I I don't know if I'm a little cynical just because of everything I've watched um, so far. But for me, when there's no stakes or there's just like everyone comes out alive in some ways, even in the superhero movies, it kind of just is like, eh, you know, and I understand this can be different because it's Disney and obviously maybe you don't want to show that to kids. Um, but I think it just kind of redeemed maybe in some ways it, it redeemed her character of like whatever she has done Um um, you know, helping the, I guess the bad side in some ways. Um, and I felt like for her, that was her way of, of really trying to maybe, um, just try to right her wrongs. Um, and I love that. I, I think when people, when, when there's characters who sacrifice themselves, um, even when they've been on the, on the other side, um, for like the main character or whatever, um, it just hits, you know, and it hits hard. Um, and so for me that, that was a scene that really worked. And I, I, uh, I, I don't know. I really, I really enjoyed that story storyline and the way it concluded because I mean, she is probably like we mentioned one of the iconic characters in this that will be, be remembered. And I love when iconic characters have an even more iconic death. So in that sense, I think it really um, did justice to her overall character and what they were trying to do with her. Okay. Yeah. I, for some reason, I just didn't feel like, like I wish they had more interactions, the two of them. I thought that, um, it just felt pretty quick for her to kind of turn on the guy. I also didn't totally understand why she was working with him in the first place. There, like the the relationship between the Xian Lang and can't even remember the quote unquote main villain, whatever his name is. But I thought it was kind of bizarre that she was not the main villain. Um, I don't. Yeah. I don't think yeah. that I needed this other random guy. Yeah, I mean that's where the the story is just lacking. Um, there wasn't a lot of explanation, like you mentioned earlier, um, which kind of is the, I don't know. That's why there's no, I guess that's why it's kind of bland in some ways. Cause you're like, it's just making you going from scene to scene, like feel this. And it's like, well, you got to give me a little bit to go on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if it, it was in the movie or not, but it says that she comes to be with him um, with, with the character of, of Jason Scott Lee, because of course she's a woman. She, she's called a witch, uh, which I very much hated that term. Um, um, so he saw the opportunity to use somebody of her power. So he asked her in order for him to get her help, he was gonna pretty much, I don't know, accept her or, um, somehow embrace who she was in order for her to, I don't know, find, uh, cause apparently she had been exiled for, for who she was, for being a powerful woman, for having all these different abilities. Um, so in, in that sense, 
that her death very much did work for me as well. <laughs> uh, it's perhaps, like Kat said, the more uh, one of the most memorable things about about that character, and it worked for me because again, it's women, <laughs> women, and, and women recognizing powerful women, and at the mm-hmm. end of the day, women helping women out. And I think I've read somewhere where they said, well, if she was such a villain or she wanted to help Mulan, why didn't she kill the, the guy himself and somehow made Mulan one of his um, uh, uh, guards or something? But ultimately, I think it was a form, like like Kat said, to redeem herself, redeem everything she done, she's done. And if she would have killed the villain, I don't think she would have... Um, been immediately accepted, um, unlike uh, the way Mulan was, because at the end of the day, she did do a lot of horrific things uh, throughout the film. So I don't think that it would have been a wise decision on her part either. So to me, it did work. Um, And again, my favorite character of the film for for that reason, it it just further enhances the message of female empowerment. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's a really good message. And I I think that... um, the film does heavily rely on you like knowing that that is, uh, I, I don't know if this is the the right way to say this, but knowing that that's a thing that you want to happen, like you want her to be redeemed and you want her to side with Mulan. And I think the script is not quite strong enough for it to totally connect for me, even though it is the thing that I, I know I want to happen. And it's the thing that when I see, oh, okay, so they are they are empowering each other. That's a good thing. That's the thing I want. But just kind of getting from A to B is is a little weak for me in terms of how little screen time she has between being this ruthless killer and then going to this more or less redemption arc. Um, it, it it doesn't super work for me, but I do like the the message that comes from that relationship. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, I agree. The script was was pretty much weak. Uh, I guess mm-hmm. it, it just it was <laughs> wasn't weak enough for, uh, not to get uh, to me. It, it worked for me, <laughs> but no, I understand um, everything that's going against this. And just I'm just waiting either for people <laughs> to tell me that I'm either paid by Disney and 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 I'm getting these checks from them because I'm getting <laughs> a positive review. Or for people to tell you that you're um, anti-feminist because you're, you didn't like the film. So either way, we're, That's we're my all biggest nightmare. Here. Don't joke about that. <laughs> um, no, I mean I'll get paid by Disney if Disney wants to write me a check. No. I'll, <laughs> I'll say I'll say whatever. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. I mean, uh, and it, it is very clear that you know I, I think one of the things that's really easy to forget about film criticism is that like you can have problems with something and still love it and you can still really not like it and have things that you like about it. So it's, yeah, believe it or not, it's not black and white. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think what what we're having here, it's pretty, I find it very intriguing because I think we're everywhere in the scale. I tend to like it a little bit more cats up in the middle and you're on the other end, but it just shows that the subjectivity of like a film that, all of us are just going to be seeing this or our, our, our perceptions of the film is going to be different. And there's nothing wrong with that. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't tend to grasp that concept. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny too, because I think like 
like me and Maddie wanted to love it. It's just like, and I think that's the reason why I feel this way is because it's like, oh, I could see the potential, you know, and that's what makes me um, disappointed in it um, because there were there were storylines like, you know, the fact that I, I love the shift that hopefully uh, we're doing uh, with the villains of there's not just good and bad now. It's very nuanced. Um, and I like when you can empathize with a villain's quote unquote, um, just like we did with Killmonger and Black Panther. Mm-hmm. You know, we could see I could see that side of him, you know, of, oh, you have some reason to do what you're doing. I may not agree the way you're doing it, but you're not super bad. You know, like it, it, there is that kind of thing in the same way that I felt with the, you know, um, uh, Gong Li's the witch in this one, like it's, I could see like the way she was ostracized and um, what she had to do to kind of survive. And you can't blame someone for that, you know? So I think I like the shift in, in that. So I think that was actually pretty progressive on Disney's part, maybe to not make it so like villain, bad, good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's also, like you said, I think if they had taken out um, the Hun like character, um, although I did like Jason Scott Lee as the, as the evil dude, he was pretty good, but his storyline was not giving him what he needed to do to really like pull it off. Um, but if they had just made her the main one and have those very nuanced conversations between like the good, bad, whatever, um, that would have been really a much more interesting movie, I think, more powerful given all the female empowerment this 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 film had. Yeah, I almost wanted more dialogue between all the characters. Yes. Um, there was just very little. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's like they 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 almost are just doing the bare minimum so that they can say that yes, technically. We talked about this, so now you should be able to understand that this character feels a different way. And to like in defense of this movie, I think a lot of blockbusters and modern blockbusters nowadays do that, where they kind of just give lip service to these things, and then so that they can say, "Okay, this is this is the theme," and let's just get to the part where Jet Li is using uh, different curtains to mess some people up which like is cool but it just isn't quite as effective if you don't have the dialogue to back up everything that is supposed to have weight in this movie Mm -hmm. yeah are there any standout moments that you want to mention in spoilers before we move on standout moments um i think we just talked about it her uh the sorcerer's death uh (laughs) unfortunately that's the only thing that stands out to me (laughs) um and you know what actually the ending uh, the ending that kind of left a, a little bit of a cliffhanger because you're not sure uh, what's going to happen with Mulan, if she's either going to accept uh, a proposal of the emperor or not. That was kind of interesting, actually, that they made that decision to end it that way. The most exciting moment for the whole film for me was seeing Ming-Na Wen cameo at oh, the very end. Yes. She is the, <laughs> so Ming-Na good. Wen is the original voice actress behind Mulan. She's mm-hmm. also on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and a bunch of other things. But she was the woman that walked Mulan up to talk mm-hmm. to the emperor at the very end. And yeah. I jumped up in my seat and got a bolt <laughs> of energy from it. It was it was a cool little cameo. Yeah, I love, I love her so much. And I feel like she has such a strong presence um, and she's such a good actress that I, I almost wish that this had been like, she was, she would have been able to portray Milan in the live action version just because I feel like she could have like really brought some, you know, her, her awesomeness to it. So I don't know, that also made me a little sad, but um, <laughs> I liked that, uh, that uh, callback. It was, it was really nice of them to do that and bring her back. Cause I mean, she kind of paved the way and she's done so much also, um, 
in all her other roles that she's done and just being such a badass at what she portrays and stuff. So I loved it. It is so funny to see her out of character because, I mean, I'm used to seeing her in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as Melinda May, <laughs> who is an absolute badass. She doesn't mess around at all. But then if you see her in interviews and stuff, she's almost this like suburban mom kind of into <laughs> Instagram and very just has a completely different energy. It really speaks to the type of actress she is. It's uh, I love Ming-Na Wen. I would definitely watch mm -hmm. her just be Mulan, like an older Mulan or something. I, I couldn't. Yeah. yeah. She should have been like her mentor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the training mentor. That would have been cool. Yeah. So uh, with that, let's go ahead and move on to our point two section where we talk about some of the other stuff that we've been watching. Uh, Catherine, we can start with you. Uh, what have you been watching? Yeah. So um, there was actually a lot to watch this weekend, mm -hmm. um, but I'm just going to focus on uh, I watch a lot of TV as well. So uh, on September 4th, uh, The Boys season two that's on Amazon Prime dropped the first three episodes. They're going to be doing um, after that, they're going to be dropping, I think, five more. It's only eight episodes. Um, and it's kind of like not anti superhero ish type show but um it's very out there it's like not your not your um mom superheroes <laughs> um but i saw season one last last year um and i loved it um and so i'm i'm watching that and it's uh, also based like on comic books but i don't know any i haven't read any of that so i'm just going off what the shows um you know just from a tv show viewer so that's what i've been watching yeah, I, uh, I'm going to be reviewing season two in a couple of weeks with uh, some people from the Bingeables podcast. They're coming on to review that. So I'm really excited for that. I was actually completely under the impression that the entire season dropped on September 4th. So it actually makes mm -hmm. it a little easier to not have to watch everything really quickly before reviewing. Um, but I, I'm with you. I, I haven't seen the first couple episodes yet, but I loved season one. I thought it did a perfect job at making superheroes realistic and being really jaded and nihilistic about the whole thing, but also still having fun and it being kind of funny. And there's some ridiculous stuff that happens that like, especially with what, what's, is it Chase Crawford is the, the deep, yes, the deep, mm -hmm. his whole character and his love of dolphins and all of that stuff. So good. Oh my God. Um, do you think that, yeah, well, season two is even better. <laughs> <laughs> do you think that the, um, the second season holds up so far? Yes, it does. And I've actually um, had the opportunity to watch up to uh, six episodes so far. Oh, great. Um, and I will say just for people who um, maybe watch the first season and then go into the three episode premiere, um, you need to watch all three at the same time because it felt like a three hour premiere. Um, and uh, I think this is just the new wave of maybe TV because there was another show raised by Wolves that I also watched. Um, and I would recommend, um, that dropped three episodes at the same time. So I think it's maybe just a new trend in TV show releases. And then it really picks up from there and it's a wild ride and I love it. Um, and I, I kind of love that they're kind of also doubling down <laughs> on certain aspects. Um, but they're also just talking so much, like it is really pulling from society's like headlines and you can make a case for certain, um, uh, storylines just like kind of mimicking like the me too movement politics um just everything and so it's very interesting to see through these through the boys and then like the seven uh, you know of uh, the superheroes so um i don't know i find it fascinating and it's definitely one of the the better shows on tv so far and 
I freaking love Anthony Starr as Homelander, who's like amazing <laughs> um, and is playing like the American hero, yet he's from New Zealand. So I love that too. Like you can pull off that, I guess, as like American douchebag. <laughs> very well. <laughs> he is so terrifying. Um, and I love Carl show. Urban. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he is so good. He's even better in this one. So I, I he deserves an Emmy nom next year. Awesome. Rosa, have you seen the show? No, I have not. So you're all speaking foreign language to me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, we can keep on doing that. But I'll just say really quickly that I also love Jack Quaid in this. Um, yes. So he, he's such a funny character and he has such this like aw shucksness about him that really works in a film or in a TV show that's otherwise very dour. Uh, or not, not dour, but has a lot of bad people doing bad things. I think that Jack Quaid is a really good beacon of light in the show other than um what's her name uh the main the main girl starlight erin moriarty yeah yeah she's she's also great so yeah yeah love that i'm really excited to check out season two and uh review that as well so rosa what have you been watching yes um so i've been watching i watched a documentary uh called robin's wish uh, and it's a documentary that takes a look at the last days of actor and comedian Robin Williams. I remember seeing the, the trailer and being intrigued by it, but yet at the same time, I wasn't sure if I was ready to see a documentary um, this way. So I just tried to be brave and, and just went ahead and watched it. And it gives the, the documentary, it gives a, a personal look uh, to his life um, up until the day that he passes away. Um, and throughout the documentary, there's interviews with his wife, his friends, neighbors, um, former colleagues and doctors um, who uh, they talk about the comedian, of course. And then they also um, go further into the disease that pretty much... Um, took away uh, uh, that affected on um, Robin Williams, which was um, the diffuse Louis body dementia. Um, so it, it's more of an informative uh, documentary, giving you like an insight into um, how this disease um, can affect anyone um, and, and it doesn't discriminate and such. And it also is perhaps, to me, it was more of an answer and perhaps a response to all these media outlets that were just... Uh, saying how the actor was just depressed and and how he he, there were some people that were even saying that he suffered from um, domestic abuse from his own wife so this film certainly opens your eyes and into the disease it brings a lot of awareness to it and unfortunately there's no cure to it so also gives it's informative in that sense in case you have relatives or anybody like that who's probably been misdiagnosed and I enjoyed it. I very much not enjoyed it. I liked it for <laughs> for what it was, <laughs> but it, it was, of course, I, I was in a puddle of my own tears towards the end because it relieving, uh, like just to relive um, his passing and, and um, how the media handled it and, and all that was, it brought back a lot of uh, uh, emotions. So overall, it's not an easy watch, but certainly an important one, especially for the, um, to bring awareness to this disease. Yeah, I didn't even know that he had a disease. I thought that, I mean, obviously I knew he was depressed, which which is, of course, an, a disease, but I didn't know that he had a disease that was named like that, the Lewy bodies. Um, yeah. 
so that's that's really that seems really interesting. Is is it on something? Is it VOD or? Yeah, it should be VOD. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And so you you did say that it left you devastated. So this is not a curl up on a Friday night and enjoy it kind of movie. It's one of those. Yeah, because it, it goes back to his entire career, and it, it it does like a compare and contrast to how he was back at his peak in his career and towards the end of his career, especially um, the last film that he did and how he was having issues like memorizing lines and and just um, concentrating. And he even began to have these um, self-doubts. His confidence wasn't the same. So, I mean, now it makes more sense because of the diagnosis, but at the time they couldn't. They, they didn't realize what was going on. So, yeah, they, they go back and forth and, and it's quite it's not an easy watch, but mm-hmm. I, I would recommend seeing it. Oh, OK. So that's Robin's Wish is the name yes. of it, right? Robin's mm-hmm. Wish. And that's on VOD. So uh, the movie that I want to talk about is one that I know both of you have seen. It's the <laughs> new Netflix film. I'm thinking of ending things. Jake, my boyfriend. Winter is coming in. We have a real connection. A rare and intense attachment. I've never experienced anything like it. I'm thinking of ending things. Huh? What? Did you say something? I don't think so. Weird. I am very glad that this was not our main review because (laughs) I have no idea really what's going on in this movie. Um, I think it's very um, intriguing. It's it's very captivating in a way that where a lot of movies that don't totally make sense can sometimes just be really boring and not make sense. I think that this movie is perplexing. It makes you think about a lot of things, but you also want to know what's going on throughout it. And I guess for people who don't know what this is, this is the Charlie Kaufman movie that just came out on Netflix. It stars... Um, Jesse Plemons and Jesse Buckley. And this movie is about memory, sort of, I guess, is the non-spoiler way to say that. I I really don't want to spoil too much about this at all because I went into this movie knowing absolutely nothing. Like, I didn't know if it was a supernatural thing. I didn't know if it was a thriller. I didn't know if when they meet Tony Collette and David Louise that it was going to turn into a get out scenario. I had no idea what I was expecting about this movie, but I did <laughs> find it very fascinating. Uh, I was very much captivated until roughly the last 30 minutes. I think that this is a movie where I wish it was just a little bit more explicit about what it all meant. And this is a movie that will make you go to Reddit and look up what is this? What is the meaning of this? And listen to podcast episodes about it and all of that stuff. And after I've listened to a couple of those things, I do now understand what's going on at least somewhat. Um, But I did find myself a little frustrated that it was almost aggressively ambiguous by the end of it um, (laughs) in a way that it sort of felt like, I guess this is kind of a spoiler. So if you don't want to know anything about it, go ahead, because I'm going to compare it to another movie. But fast forward if you don't want to hear that. Um, it kind of reminds me if the movie Fight Club did not explicitly mm. tell you what the spoiler to that movie was. And the last 30 minutes, instead of them showing you what the twist is, they just like sang Oklahoma. 
So, um, I don't know. It it, it works for me for a while and then doesn't really work at the end. But uh, what did you guys think about I'm thinking of ending things? Um, I, I guess I, I can just say I'm a big Charlie Kaufman fan. Um, and I realized, uh, when I heard this, this movie was coming out, um, uh, I, I got, I was on another podcast talking about eternal sunshine and spotless mind because that movie I watched, um, in my heyday of high school and college and mid twenties and even now, and it's probably been one of the most like affecting movies, you know, like, the movies that is just affects me in different ways every time I watch it. Um, and I love some of his previous work as well. And I feel like he's just such a good writer in the sense he's able to just tap into those human emotions mm-hmm. of like, or like those like moments that I think we feel and I'm just not eloquent enough to really talk about. <laughs> and so I think watching, I, uh, watching, um, and I'm thinking of ending things felt that way. Like, even though it is kind of meandering in some ways and you're like, what is the point of this? I'm like, I think I was just so enthralled with the fact that like, Hey, these are some of the things I've been thinking about, not like specific, I don't know, like just throughout like randomly and I could never find a way to express them. And then there's just like moments where it's so simple and so accessible the way he says it. And I don't know if that is also because of the book it's based on. So, but anyway, like it still felt very Charlie Kaufman and just like simple, you know, phrases that are in the movie that explain so much and that are so deep and rich and it, it just like transcends it in my eyes. Like, um, I know I sound like a fan girl or whatever, but it, <laughs> I just love writing like this, like um, that is able to really and movies like that are really able to like just take what you have thought about in a way and then like really explain it and make you feel like you're connecting with it and you're not crazy. And um, even though this movie might make you feel a little crazy, (laughs) um, I think it also makes you feel heard and and, um, seen in some ways, especially everything that's going on right now. I think, um, you know, feeling of loneliness, feeling of longing for like nostalgia and memories. I think that's everything that we're doing right now. And so I feel like it couldn't have come out at a better time. So I guess that's my long-winded version of saying I enjoyed it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Rosa, did you enjoy it as well? I I think, I believe you did, right? I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my, I love this film. And yeah, yeah, Kat and I discuss it over on our podcast. But yeah, the idea of, of and again, it, it's an artsy film. It's a mind-bending, like, thought-provoking film that it, it's not going to be for everybody. And, and that's fine. But the fact that this film got me thinking so much, it got me thinking about just all these philosophical themes that are so ordinary and, and they are so everyday uh, things that we do that we don't even pay attention to them. We're so focused on other things that we don't sit down and think about our memory, our human relationships, um, our imagination, our perspectives, our perceptions, and all these things. And to see this film, I've only seen it once, and it still had an impact. I'm still thinking about this film ever since I watched it. And just to have a film make me think about my own life, to make me think about my purpose in life and everything that's been going around from um, media and film and television and learn behaviors at home, learn behaviors at the workplace and just everything in life, pretty much life. Um, it's pretty darn fascinating. So um, if you cannot hear it in my voice, I love this film. <laughs> Yeah, I think fascinating is is a really good word for the movie. And uh, like you said, this movie is not going to be for everyone. And I think 
there's a line for everyone where a movie is just ambiguous enough that it demands its audience to be paying attention and it demands its audience to actually actively think about the movie. And then there's the other side of that line that is it's so ambiguous and confusing that to the point where it's like frustrating. Um, and I think where that line is, is different for individual people. And I, I don't think, and, and I mean, I guess I just think that towards the end of this movie, because it rides that movie or it rides that line for me perfectly for a very, very long time. And then towards the very end, I just wanted it to be like, no, this is, let me just show you. And maybe that's just the way that I watch movies or the type of movies. Like this movie is nothing like Fight Club. I said it is like Fight Club, but they're trying to be two completely different things. This is not a twist movie. So maybe <laughs> that's on me as the viewer. Um, but yeah, I mean, regardless of how I felt about the ending, I think that the things that it explores, the ideas of what makes you, you and where you get all of these things and the idea of being lonely and all of this stuff is is really, really fascinating. So it's, it's a very fascinating movie. And it also doesn't at all feel like a Netflix film because it feels like mm -hmm. an individual's own movie. Like it, it doesn't feel like Charlie budged at all with this movie he it no. feels like he included everything he wanted to there's nothing missing um it's just he made the movie and then if you like it you like it so i'm really glad you guys liked it i i was um i guess i'd say i'm mildly positive on it um but would definitely recommend it if it's a movie that after you hear this you feel like this is something that you want to you want from a movie right yeah yeah i i, I love um i this week for me was filled with so many trippy watches. I, I think I tweeted that out. Um, so I, as a movie, like, I think it's, it's kind of been mediocre. There's been some stuff, especially in TV that have come out that I've been excited for, but this week really I saw Tenet. I saw this one. Um, even Mulan, you know, try, it's something different. And then, um, raised by wolves, a TV show, the boys, like, I was like, Oh my God, this feels so like, I'm just in my happy place for the first time. I think since we, since we can't go to the theater and I did go to the theater, for a press only screen for Tenet. Um, but that was like a one, I probably won't be back again unless that happens, um, you know, again. But yeah, I, I just think thought provoking is where I like to live with movies. Um, yes, of course, I like my action where I don't have to think too much. Um, but when these gems come around, I'm like, yes, I want to talk about it. I want to watch it three times to figure it out. Like it's a puzzle that I love when movies do that for you. Like if you can if it keeps you thinking afterwards, I feel like it's doing its job in some ways. Even if you hate it, <laughs> yeah. even if you hate that aspect of it, it's cool that it got you to do that. And you're angry about, it. I think that just feeling something and making you think about something. I think sometimes we're so, especially now, think, uh, we just want to give in to us in some ways and we want the easy answer. And it's like, no, you got to think about it sometimes, you know, even if that means like, think about it and I didn't like it, that's okay too. But just thinking is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think we could probably talk about this movie for another hour. It's that complex and we could do a spoiler section within our point two section, but let's not do that. Uh, let's go ahead and end it <laughs> yeah. on a very positive note. I'm really glad that things are coming out again. You know, there, there was there was a while where not a lot of stuff was coming out. If you look back to some of my episodes the last couple of months, it's been like, shit, what do I talk about? There's literally nothing. So um, really excited to have these movies back regardless of how everybody feels about them. So this has been our review of Mulan. Uh, Rosa, Catherine, thanks so much for joining me. thought this was awesome. 
And I'm really a big fan of what you guys are doing with the Latinx Lens podcast. I think that's great. Is there anything specific that you'd like to plug here? Um, um, oh, go ahead. <laughs> uh, no, Monty, thank you so much for asking us to be here. It's been fun. It's been a treat. Um, no, for me, just nothing. N- n- nothing um, else. I- I've just, just listened to our newest episode of um, Latinx Lens, where Catherine and myself, we discuss um, some of the films we just uh, talked about here. And then... Um, uh, other films we reviewed as well. So yeah, just make sure you're you're, you're following us. Um, listen, like, share, retweet, <laughs> rate <laughs> us, comment, um, any, anything you can. We'd greatly appreciate it. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to our latest episode. Um, and uh, we love engagement. So please let us know what you think. Um, just like we talked on this podcast, like discussion is awesome, um, whether you we agree or not. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'll provide the link to the the latest episode as well as both of your Twitters and the Latin Excellence podcast Twitter. So definitely give all of those a follow if you, for some reason, have not yet. The intro music for this episode is a piece called Work by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when we release new episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at MovieMarapod or on Facebook at facebook.com slash MovieMarapod. That's movie, M-A-R-A, pod. And you can always reach out to us at our email, moviemarathonerspod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast at our website, evergreenpodcasts.com slash movie-marathoners. And we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, Overcast, Himalaya, and CastBox. So please subscribe or write a review if you like what we're doing. And any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. So thank you all for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time when I am joined by my girlfriend Dana to talk about Emmy 2020 predictions, snubs, and hopefuls. So stay tuned for that. Until then, bye. Hi, I'm Christina Yerling Biro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play. There always has to be a mystery. The audience have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on. Meet studio execs like Pixar chief Pete Docter and learn his secret on how he makes us cry. Emotion is our first language. And so many others who are defining popular culture, from Obama speechwriter David Litt to Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi. We don't often think about food politically or we don't want to, but it really is. Join me. Search for Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts.